You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello and welcome to the Wisdom Cricket Weekly Podcast. England bounced back in style at Old Trafford, thumping South Africa by innings to level the series with a test to play. We've also got an epic India-Pakistan clash to talk about, the rest of the Asia Cup action, the 100 and more. I'm Yazrana and with me today is the managing editor of Wisdom.com, Ben Gardner, and the features editor of Wisdom.com, Tahar Hashim. But first, let's go to Mark Butcher for his thoughts on the test. Mark, a return to winning ways for England. In some ways, their most complete performance of the summer, big-ish first innings runs and all of their seamers doing very well. Yeah, I mean, the highlight, I suppose, um, or, the, or the sort of the general narrative of the Test match was that it was played in a very old-fashioned way, you know, through all the talk of um, rewriting the, the rule book for Test match cricket. I mean, we've heard that before, haven't we? That You know, that remember when, when uh, Bayliss and, and Root sort of happened upon the whole, you know, everyone's going to be an all-rounder and we're going to play a completely different sort of brand of cricket. It worked for a couple of test matches and then they found out it wasn't quite so straightforward. <laughs> um, so, that, I mean, it, it, and, and this is not a sort of a gotcha because, you know, I'm very, very happy for England to play in that that expansive style. But you always temper that with um, the idea that that sometimes conditions don't allow it. Sometimes conditions require you to do what England did in this test match and they did it unbelievably well so it was it was really good to see and and the i suppose the most heartening thing was watching ben stokes for the first time this summer um you know play players that as the incredible batter that he is as opposed to somebody who was trying to prove a point to everybody else you know to people in his own team i suppose and and selling himself short as a player along the way so that was that was wonderful to watch do you think that that's what it was this Stokes? I mean, I thought it was quite interesting what he said to Sky before day three. I think he said, we got an understanding of the wicket. It didn't feel like a wicket where you could stand there and hit through the line. Some balls were bouncing, some balls were skidding. There was reverse swing. So when conditions weren't easy, he gets his best score of the summer playing in that more measured way, which makes you think, why, why does he do that more often? Yeah, why, why not just play like that all the time? No, I mean, no, he, he, he qualified it by saying, in the early part of the summer, he wanted he wanted to sort of he wanted to show people that it was all right to go to get out being hyper aggressive, I suppose. And the best way he felt to do that was to was to go out and do it himself. I mean, <clears throat> there is a, you know there's a slight power imbalance there, of course, isn't there? Because when the captain does it, who's gonna who's gonna tell him off? Uh, <laughs> um, but um, but no, I, I understand the point. You know, it's it's a little bit like I mean, I, I compare him as a character and as a leader to. To, to Adam Holyoke, though I played an enormous amount of cricket with, in that um, you know he, he might not have had the sort of the, the 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 talent of Ben Stokes as a player, but as a leader, he believed very much this, a similar thing that if you wanted three people to stand at, at short leg 
half a yard away from the bat to, to somebody who was who was not the greatest spinner in the world, then you had to go and do that yourself. You know, it wasn't it was no good telling other people to do it and not being willing to do it himself. And that's kind of the point that Ben was making about the way that he went about his batting early in the summer. I hope um, that the the rest of the lineup would have watched the way he batted in this test, test match and thought, oh, you know what? Being able to defend and leave the ball and play the ball on its merits is also something that's worth um, worth copying and worth uh, worth looking at. Uh, and, and if you if you start from the point of view that um, you know sound having a sound defence and good judgment allows you then to be able to play as many shots as you want once you're in, then you know you're, you're getting there, aren't you? Hmm. Um, someone we've not talked about hugely this summer uh, is Alex Lees. There's been a lot of focus on Zach Crawley, but Lees has been struggling a bit under the radar. That's four first inning scores of less than 10 in a row now. He's averaging 23 from nine task matches. He gets out to a lot of good balls. As an opener, you get lots of good balls. Is there anything that you've seen in his setup that you think could help him prevent those kind of dismissals? Um, well, funnily enough, I actually like I like the look of him defensively in the West Indies. You know, aside from the, he had that little thing where he was deciding to bat a foot and a half outside off stump for a guard around the wicket, and he discarded that pretty quickly. But I actually thought, in terms of being solid, in terms of being able to play forward and back and playing in straight lines and all those other types of things that you need against the moving ball, he was actually, he looked very, very good. But of course, what's happened since is that he's he's got into the mode of I'm, I want to go out there and, and strike the ball. Um, and what's happened since then is that he he basically stands very upright. That's that hasn't changed a great deal. But basically, his his right foot, his front foot, just kind of goes goes to exactly the same position, whether the ball's back back of a length, full of a length, short or whatever. He sort of plonks it somewhere near the sort of leg stump, and then doesn't really move from there and just kind of tries to to hit the ball from that static position, um, leaving, you know, leaving every dismissal under the sun um, sort of ready to, to pounce. And it's funny, you mentioned the sort of like going under the radar. I think I actually said that on comms after he got out, that it's only because of the, the guy at the other end having having such such a rough old time that he, that he hasn't really got a mention. Um, but again, you know, he's he's going to, He's going to get the exactly the same sort of scrutiny, and he's and by the looks of it, he's going to get exactly the same backing um, as uh, as as the rest of the guys. I mean, I just I, I do think that eventually that they will. I mean, the praise heaped upon Zach Crawley for going out there and batting like an opener, you know, leaving the ball and 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 stopping and being able to stop the ball type thing is kind of is kind of funny, isn't it? Because you know that's basically the job. You know, for both of them, that is the job. Now, it's all very well to sort of talk about how difficult it is at the top of the order because it's ne- it's never been easy. You know, there's never been an era where opening the batting was the best gig in the world. But in order to be able to be relatively successful batting up there, you had to have some basic qualities of being able to leave the ball, being able to defend properly, softly, being able to scratch out 30 or 40 when you're having an absolute nightmare in order to kind of do a do something of a service to the guys coming in behind you. And none of those things are different. No matter what style of cricket you want to play, that remains the same. Now, again, as Michael Slater proved in the in the sort of early, early mid-90s, that if you have an opening batter or Saywag, for example, if you're an opening batter and come out and also kind of give the give the bowling attack an absolute shooing, then that's fantastic. That is wonderful. But baked into their into their game was uh, still was the ability to be able to keep the odd ball out from time to time. You know, that was kind of that was a given. So it, it isn't something that should be thrown away. You know, Zach Crawley has now found out, okay, if I give myself if I give myself an hour, if I give the bowlers an hour, maybe. 45 minutes to get myself in and sort of repel the, the, the good stuff and get myself into a, into a place where I'm happy with the conditions, then I might be able to start zacking it everywhere. But if you don't do that and you don't get in, then you don't get any runs. <laughs> and Alex Lees is finding, exactly the, is finding exactly the same thing. Today is the 10-year anniversary of Andrew Strauss announcing his retirement from Test Cricket. I think if there's one thing that we've learned in the last 10 years is that the perfect opener doesn't exist in the county game, otherwise we probably would have found him by now. Um, England are going to have to name a squad for Pakistan at, at some point in the next month or so. 
Uh, we've seen a lot of Lees and Crawley now, and we've seen a lot of other guys who um, have had decent stints in the side who are no longer in the setup. Who, who do you think are the best two English openers currently available for, for selection at the moment? I don't know. I mean, I, I'd be, I'd be relatively, um, you know, I'd be relatively interested to see how, to see how somebody like Robson goes from from Middlesex, or even Adam Lythe goes from from Yorkshire. Uh, somebody like Nick Gubbins has kind of has, has started to make a few runs again. I mean, there there are there are a few people around, but as to who's the best, I mean, Ben Compton this summer has been quite remarkable. And and somebody like Daniel Bell Drummond seems to score a hell of a lot of runs every single summer and, and, and kind of go under the massively under the radar. Um, as far as as far as who the best is concerned, I don't really know. But the but the way that they're going about um, giving. So none of those people that I've mentioned, particularly the ones who've played before, were given anywhere near as much rope to play with as, as these guys here. And you can't help but think that, OK, so these guys had kind of, you know, had, had had a taste of, of, of relative success and had a record of scoring runs behind them in, in, in the county game um, that obviously Crawley doesn't really have. Uh, and who knows if they'd been given the sort of like the unequivocal backing at the time, that things might be very different different. For them, so it sounds like I'm, I'm hedging my bets a little bit, but I'm not. All I'm saying is, is that, is that if, if and when, so either, so either these guys, what's that? That was that saying that if you sat a, a monkey down in front of a typewriter, and he sat there clunking away for long enough, he'd be able to write, you know, a, a line of Shakespeare or something. You know, what I mean? eventually, if you do it, if you do something for long enough, you're going to succeed eventually, or you're going to, you know, make you put something coherent together eventually. Because because it can't can't go on forever. You can't always not succeed. You know, there's going to have to be something happen um, in this last test match at Lords, and then and then if not, then go through the series in Pakistan. You can't we can't stay in this position forever. When and if a change eventually happens, then you kind of go, okay, well, how long does X have to kind of to get their feet under the table? And you would like to think that people who have who have had decent records over a long period of time, given the same sort of backing, might do rather better with it than the, than the guys that are in there at the moment have done. You know, I hope, and I, and I said, I remember saying this on air, I said, I hope, I hope that having said what I said about, you know, being cruel with him going out and playing, I said, I hope he goes and scores 100. You know, this is not a, a vendetta against him, but it just kind of, it seems extraordinarily unlikely that he will in the, you know, given the kind of shape that he's in at the moment. And it also seems rather unlikely that that, that Alex Lees might at, at, uh, at the Oval as well, given given the way that he's played and given the quality of the bowlers that they're, they're batting against. But, you know, fingers crossed. Mm, one test of the summer to go. Cheers, you time, Butch. Chat to you next week. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Dean Elgar made the bold move to play two spinners, dropping Marco Janssen, bringing in Simon Harmer. And then with two spinners in the side, he opted to bat first in gloomy conditions on that first morning. After an innings defeat, it's easy to say in hindsight that it was wrong, but was it wrong at the time? I actually have less of an issue with the toss decision itself than with lots of other things that South Africa did in this test match. I mean, and I, I think picking Simon Harmer, well, once you've picked two spinners, I don't think you can then win the toss and... Uh, bowl first that would be odd in the extreme so I guess the question is whether playing two spinners was the right thing to do and even then I'm not sure it was definitely as big a mistake as you could now make it out to be because the pitch was taking spin I think you saw actually in both the second and third innings that while it was it was tough to take wickets but it was also tough to score between overs like 40 and 80 uh, and you know it took a brilliant spell from Ben Stokes to break it open before that second new ball came in South Africa's second innings um, and so that's why you can see that spin actually could have been a more uh, decisive factor, I suppose, if they bowled better, I guess. But then you, you look at just the overall makeup of the side. And once you look at that, you realise that something has clearly gone awry. You can't have Simon Harmer as your number seven in test cricket. That is just like you've, you've, you've overthought things. You've, you've, you've put way too much faith into a batting line, which we know is very brittle. There's no bankers in there, really. Um, one of them is woefully out of form in Aidan Markram. 
Um, a lot of them are reasonably unproven at the test level. Uh, that is, so it's the balance of the side rather than picking the two spinners. If they'd gone with six batters, a keeper, two spinners, two seamers, I think it would have stood a better chance. And then you also just look at various tactical things. And also just, I think this this test, obviously, is massively convincing in the end for England and that shows how well they've played but Saffron's actually quite badly to get into that position I think that 240 would have been about par actually on day one and that would have seen them right in the game and so if they'd been three down at lunch day rather than what five down I think they were on day one they'd have sort of decent chance putting up a, a total would have been competitive and then even then England were 140 for five uh Folks comes in Folks is probably the most under pressure of England's players in the team in terms of for his spot if not in terms of the media spotlight uh who'd looked he'd been so worked over by the pace of Nokia in the first test uh he comes in and knock his bowling folks looks really unsure to start with inside edges rabada passes stumps and then both of them are taken out of the attack as goes to harmer and Gidi, and he doesn't see norkia again until he's into the 40s and set and his eyes in obviously folks played brilliantly we'll come to him more but you have to ask why norkia doesn't come on straight after lunch to target folks you get him the game is broken open we know how uh england don't really have a tail at the moment um so those would be the things that I would pick up more, I think, rather than it's it's not the two spinners, it's the balance of the side and it's not the toss decision, it's the decisions taken in the game, I think, and also how Harmer in particular bowled. Also the point to make on a lot of people were seeing him bowling badly and saying this shows, you know, the level between county cricket and test cricket, which probably does a, to an it's extent. It was a bad day for county cricket, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, which it does to an extent. But I also think that what applies to Harmer applied to England in the first, which is that he hasn't played a Red Bull game in ages. It's almost he is suffering from the schedule as much as uh, England's team were in at that point. Um, and he does, he is not normally bowling uh, massive full tosses and head high full tosses when he plays in county cricket. He is normally a lot more consistent than that. You know, the nerves will have got to him, you'd think. I mean, that's uh, uh, there was so much build up to him playing with how good he's been in England. There would have been a lot to justify. The pitch was there to help him when you're there as a second spinner that can actually bring more pressure rather than less. Um, and I think that it was all of that rather than just that Harmer is, you know, way worse than his county figures make him look, I think. In in his defence, um, he's been tasked with bowling after his side have put up 100 and something in the first innings. It's just, if you're going to pick two spinners, you have to have runs on the board to begin with. And so he was always kind of set up to, to, to fail, basically. Ben's exactly right that you can't have Simon Harmer at seven. Uh, they kind of got away with it in the first test with Janssen coming in and getting a few runs. But I think you, that's the type of team balance that you can kind of win a test match with. But I'm not sure you kind of win a series with, mm. especially when you look at how kind of poor the South Africans batting, kind of how weak it basically looks um, otherwise. I, the, the, the frustrating thing about this series so far has been both test matches have essentially been decided on the first day with the team batting first just not getting first innings runs and we've had what like six days of cricket basically it's it's set up brilliantly for the oval now where we've got a decider but it's just not been it's not been the type of cricket i've kind of enjoyed because it's kind of we've had the first day and basically you're just waiting for the everything to play out how you kind of expect it to play out mm. essentially yeah i mean when you've got this combination of batting sides and, and bowling sides you know under fire top six and sevens and two very good bowling attacks. You're going to get that South Africa. Um, do you remember last winter we predicted that the South African New Zealand series would be quite close, and it was in the end. It was one all, but the games themselves weren't that close. Hmm. Like South Africa lost the first game by an innings and 276. I think South Africa are just going to produce lots of Test matches like that. Yeah, um, but I think because of that it will also be easy for them to dismiss this as an aberration because I think it was in a lot of ways. I think so. They'll have to make some changes for the next test because Razi van Anderson has a, a broken finger, um, but he's confirmed to miss that test. So they'll have to move him out. I think that might save Markram, but they might also drop him and bring in two other batters. And then I'd imagine they'll go back to Janssen as well. And so once you've made three changes, once you realise that, okay, we've got loads wrong, we know what we've got wrong, we can get that right. I actually, yeah, I don't know if it'll be a close game, but I, I do think it is actually very well poised. I don't think that there's also this huge gap the seamers will be rested. I don't think it's uh, that England now have this, you know, massive momentum swell. I do think they'll come into it sort of both raring and it'll be a really good game, basically. Mm. Anderson, Braun, Robinson were all really good on that first day. Uh, Robinson at one point was on course for one of the all-time great nunfers. It was his first test since the Ashes. Ben, you were there. What did you make of his return? I thought from a very simple point of view, he just ran in faster and bowled faster. Yeah, I mean, 
he is now maybe England's second quickest available fast bowler behind Jamie Overton. Maybe Stokes. Stokes probably a bit quicker as well, but in terms of frontline seamers, which is a crazy turn of affairs, considering that he was what bowling in the, the low 70s at some point during the Ashes. Um, and yeah, he was brilliant. And it's easy to forget. So some players get better when they're out of the side. I don't think Ollie Robinson is one of those because the things that he does well are quite subtle, basically. Like you can convince yourself that actually a guy who's bowling that are kind of all 82, 83 mile an hour bowlers are kind of equal that like, you know, yeah, what, what, what does he really do? What's his X factor? And there, there is an X factor. He just is incredibly accurate. He's intelligent. So we can work players out. And he is now quick enough that actually even on pitches that aren't going to give him loads of assistance, which weren't the ones last summer either, um, he is going to be able to break through. So yeah, he was brilliant. And it was interesting how Broad stepped up almost with that competition, having had the new ball taken away from him. It's the they very, very rarely separated. Obviously, Anderson and Broad with the new ball. Questions over Broad coming into this game, having not bowled that well this summer, I think, um, by his own high standards. And with obviously Matt Potts coming in, uh, would have been a bit of debate over whether that was the right decision. And we also, you get less of a sense that Broad is going to play on and on and on in the way that Anderson will. Um, and this showed, I think, that there is still that desire there that Broad is, if he's not first choice or if he's not the attack leader or attack leader with Anderson, that he is still going to be willing to sort of pitch in and prove that point and show that he can still uh, take wickets and that sort of thing. So, yeah, they were both, they were both brilliant. England, England were brilliant in this game, basically across the board, apart from maybe a couple of the batters who, who missed out. But yeah. You talk about the subtleties of Robinson. Uh, one of the things people talk about is kind of his high release point. But beyond that as well, I think one of the things he does brilliant is uses uses the crease. Like he comes, when he's coming kind of wide at the crease, angling at the batter. I imagine it's so, you know, he's always at you basically. He's always going to try and get the batter playing and then he'll just get just the perfect amount of movement not too much like sometimes with a an Anderson outswinger there's always too much whereas Robinson just get that just enough to to get the outside edge um he's even with the fitness issues he was still a brilliant test bowler and so when you know he gets the fitness right he's bowling the way he is I mean that's just a very difficult proposition for any side um with Broad I thought kind of in the last test he managed to pick up three for in the end and the figures looked good, but he did like he, he he didn't bowl well essentially, especially front up. That's what led to kind of Stokes was the bowler in in that last test who kind of had to prize things open because the, the front line quicks just there wasn't really any danger facing them. Um but he he's we this is what we know about Stuart Broad, that when he's kind of like looking kind of down and out and there's suddenly a threat to a threat with him and this time the threat came with him not having the new ball. Um, he steps up. He's done it. He's done it his whole career, and so you just never know when to when to write him off. Because I felt like after you know that last test, it was something like, "Oh, what's is this? It? Is this?" It? And then yeah, and then he'll bring up a performance like that and kind of make you just marvel at him, essentially. Yeah, it was, it was his first time not bowling with a new ball in a home test since the 2013 Ashes. Just on Robinson again, there were some really good quotes from him about his his newfound love of the gym. Uh, after the test, Robertson said, I've become a bit of a gym freak, which I never thought I'd say. I wake up in the morning and I'm like, I've really got to go to the gym. Yeah, so it's become a bit of a habit, whereas before it was a chore. And I think that's really helped me. The running three times a week, the gymming three times a week, it's just ingrained in me now, which hopefully will help for years to come. We're very guilty on this show of just overlooking good tests from Anderson. He took six for 62 uh, at the age of 40. He was good again, Ben. Yeah, I mean, he was. Uh, he averages 16.14 as a 40-year-old in Test cricket now. Small sample size. Sure, yeah. But, I mean, would, would you bet against uh, that number rising too high? I don't know. Uh, yeah, he, I mean, he, he, he was absolutely brilliant. Um, I think it really helps as well how much England were able to rest him in the game as well uh, in terms of batting a long time. Uh, and then also in that second innings when... I mean that that mammoth spell from Stokes meant he was rested for that second new ball when it came, and yeah, he was he is just uh, absolutely mesmeric. I mean, the probably the the pick was that the wicket of Elgar, I guess, where uh, they put up uh, England cricket put up the, the little clip that just showed how he, you know, how much movement he was getting both ways, and then the ball itself is sort of maybe it keeps a bit low, uh, but 
it's it's everything that's come before it. And uh, Elgar as well. If, if you're looking for bangers, he's the one in that Sefra lineup and was worked out and worked over brilliantly in both innings. It was broad in the first innings and Anson in the second. Um, and once you get past him, I think you'll feel you're, the job is almost half done in a way with that South Africa unit because they'll get so much confidence from how Elgar can go. Uh, but yes, and Anson was absolutely brilliant. And uh, uh, yeah, it was. <laughs> that's the thing. There isn't much to say apart from that. Uh, when there's a new ball in his hand, he swings it. He seems it. Uh, he can. He does the wobble seam. He's still pretty quick. He's brilliant. Before we started recording, we were talking about where he could end up wickets-wise. <laughs> yeah. The thing that I'm obsessed by with Anderson is where his average is going. It's not that far from being 25 point something, which is then the, the same realm as Warren. But um, yeah, I mean, you say Warren there. It's kind of now he's on 664, I think. That's where he yeah. gets. I mean, he's not far off breaking Warren's record of 708. Murley, uh, 800, mm. <laughs> that's probably not happening. But then again, you know, when he broke McGrath's record, I thought, okay, you know, he'll get 600, but I can't see him being 708, mm. right? But um, I guess another year, couple years, if he can hang on, 708 is, is there for the taking. On the average point, because he's taken so many, uh, so even if he takes his next... 46 wickets sorry his next 36 wickets for zero runs that would be to get him up to 700 um he would be his average would be just under 25 so under 25 to, or 26 just under 25 but, okay. but that's, that's yeah, for zero yeah, runs yeah. so even yeah. if he's averaging 10 over that time it's gonna be tricky for him to get it really really low, i think yeah that's true that's true but it's um, just it's just fun isn't it yeah. <laughs> <laughs> england won by an innings in the end but there was a point on that first evening where they were 43 for three with root out Safka were bowling really well. They had their tails up. And I thought that maybe they could skittle England for, for a total somewhere around their own. That partnership between Crawley and Bairstow was vital. Tar, what do you make of Crawley's knock? He played extremely cautiously. And it's a kind of innings that we're almost used to seeing from someone like Dom Sibley. And also very different to the ones that have caught the eye with Crawley before. I'm thinking his Sydney knock and then obviously his famous 267. And he's had a couple of very quick 50s and now Medabad, for example. This is a very, very different type of innings from Crawley. Well, the, the, the fascinating thing about the whole Crawley situation now is that um, you've got England management on one side telling us this guy's our match winner. Um, you know, he can play shots that no one else can. And we don't expect him to be consistent. And yet what I've seen from him in his last few innings, going back to that one against India um, and, you know, even glimpses of it um, before this test against South Africa is that he is trying to, he's really at the, at the start of his innings, he is just trying to survive. He's actually trying to be more disciplined. Um, and so he's kind of actually going away from that whole kind of match winner, maverick style type of guy that you, you the, which is the image that, England management have been kind of been throwing up about him. So he's actually giving himself a chance of being more consistent. He's trying to bat like kind of any other test opener out there. Uh, and so, you know, he got 38, which is in, in the concert of that game, it was, it was a match winning knock, really. Yeah, kind of. it really it was, was huge. huge. Um, but it's still only 38. And so he's still got a lot to prove to us. But then again, to the England management, it'll be again like, you know, he did his job, but also in a slightly different way to what I imagine they might have been expecting as well. Yeah, it's be interesting to, I mean, it's impossible to know what England actually discussed after that uh, first test defeat, given McCullum said, you know, when he came out, said, do we go hard enough? I personally, they probably, like, if they discussed anything, it would have been actually, let's maybe rein it in sight, let's observe conditions, let's that sort of thing, because that's how, that's how Stokes played as well when he batted. It's how they bowled a bit. Stokes didn't just bowl bounce after bounce when I mean, he did for his first three overs in that 14 over spell and then he sort of started bowling just normally and, and brilliantly basically um and I think that would probably apply to Crawley too and because the thing is is that if he's more consistent he's also going to win England more matches I guess there's still a few obviously there's still lots of questions over Crawley but specifically about this new approach I guess first it's whether he does actually play like that uh in general from now on or whether this was sort of him just doing it for once and then that he'll start playing loosely again in the next couple of tests the other is, I guess, is he able to sort of blend the tempos well? Like, can he be 38 of 100, sort of be scratching around and then sort of switch a gear or rise through the gears quickly? That's something that I think we don't know. And then there's also the question that if you want an opener to blunt the new ball and you think that's the most important thing they can do, which is personally what I think. I mean, you look at how 
good England's middle order is even without a platform match, and good that they'd be with one if that you know if they're one or two down when the ball is you know 24 goals old rather than three or four down or five down as it has been sometimes this summer. Like imagine how good England could be then. If you were to conclude that that's the guy you need, that's the most important job Nope could do, is Crawley the guy to do that? I would say he's not. But then the question is, is the potentially upside he offers by potentially going massive? Not that we've seen that loads, but there is obviously the, the one obvious example that he's done it. Does that balance out the fact that he'll do that less often, say, than a, a Dom Sibley would? It's uh, it's going to be really interesting to see how that pans out, I guess, over the next week and the Pakistan tour as well. Well, there were signs that he's always had like a template going for him within that innings where he blunted the new ball uh, on the on the first evening. And then day two, he was basically becoming a bit more proactive. You know, I think there were a few more boundaries and it just took a really good ball to kind of get rid of him. And so maybe there are signs now that he's learning how to build an innings, but at the same time, you still have to show a score at the end of it. Um, but there were signs of that against India um, and there was a sign of that the other day. But at the same time, how many more chances can you give some guy to just keep on learning at test level until you say, well... We need kind of an end result here, essentially. Yeah, I guess it's just strange that we are seeing more signs of a test opener being there, but we are also watching in real time a guy just learn how to bat in Red Bull cricket, not just test cricket. This is a guy who's struggling to score runs in first-class cricket for Kent. It is clearly he's learning on the job, but at the same time, he averages more than the guy at the other end who's under a bit of pressure himself and Alex Lees. We should just say that Bairstow is absolutely brilliant, I think. Mm. that That's another thing that will go under the radar, but that was, if you're looking for momentum shifts in the game, that really, really was one. Uh, he, I mean, he played as brilliant as he has all summer. Um, but yeah, that that was, I know it was only, what, 49 or 48, but that, that was a brilliant name from Besto. Mm. We've not talked hugely about Ben Folks yet. Ben, that was a superb knock. His first test, 104 years, his first at home. Uh, him reaching his 100 was your moment of the week. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was weird because the 100 itself, by the time he got to that point, the game was basically secure. It was hard to see how Stafford were going to come back into it. So it was all kind of... Uh, uh, academic at that point whether he got there or not and yet that was probably about the most tense I felt all uh, all game um, as I said earlier I think he was probably the most in danger of being dropped at England lost that game I think when you look at if if, if you then if you're going into the oval and it's a dead rubber and you're looking to experiment that's when you think okay how do we get Brooke into the side and that's the most obvious route um, he it, I think it would also have been quite typical of Ben Folks in a way to not have got to the 100 to have sort of like played a key role in winning the game that gets reasonably forgotten at the end if it like we've seen it with Dan Lawrence say who got what 80 odd last summer against uh, New Zealand 90 on the West Indies if, if one of those two is 100 then that record looks a lot different Ben Folks now has 200s having got one in his first test that's like a, a, a monkey off the bat sort of thing and I think he was really 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 good I mean you can question the fact that Safka didn't bowl Nokia to him as much as they could have early on but when Nokia came back, he was relatively untroubled, I think. I mean, that is one thing is that, sure, you might have a weakness against 95 mile an hour bowling. I think that would go for quite, for quite a lot of people, but you're allowed to to get better at it. And that is going to be Ben Folks's practice against it is going to be in the test arena against a guy like Nokia. And he improved a lot as it went on. I mean, uh, there was a, you know, there, there were bounces that were being pulled with a lot of control down past fine leg. There were, uh, he was he was playing it well off his legs off Nokia. Obviously, we know he can play spin really well and he did that. Um, and it was just a very, very sort of consummate, capable test innings from a guy who can do that as a batter. Um, I think the other thing that's interesting as well is how his role and his type of batting fits into England as they are at the moment. So he said after play, he was like, you know, sorry, I bat five and I, uh, I my job is to score hundreds. Um, I've had to try, try and work out how to do that at number seven for England. And he can sometimes seem like he doesn't have the skill set of a traditional number seven, which he, he doesn't really. I mean, he's not going to be the guy that gets you the maximum value from the tail in the way that maybe Butler or Besto would. But I also don't think that's what England really need right now. Their tail is so brittle because they don't really have a number eight um, that there's only going to be minimum value you got from that anyway. It's going to be all over quite quickly in any case. Um, and actually what they want is someone who can basically build partnerships with whoever's in at that point in time and he's done that now quite a few times this summer build really important partnerships like he did in laws in that first test like he did in the second test he got a half century and um, even comes in and gets that 12 now to win that second test as well we know he's a he's a, he's a batter i think that players quite like batting with um but that wouldn't have meant much without that 
statement score, which he's now got. And uh, yeah, and the, the 100 came up off Nokia, guided down to the third man boundary. And that was quite fitting for, yeah, to show he's improved in that aspect. Nice. Um, on South Africa, as we mentioned already, Rassi van der Dusen has been ruled out of the third test with an injury. Aidan Markram averages 24 uh, since the start of last year. He's played 12 tests in that time. How do we think they're going to go about changing him? Ryan Rickleton has scored millions of runs for Northants this year, but it's only played two test matches. Part of me kind of hopes they stick with Markram. Um, I think he's a player... He, I think I find him really fascinating because... He's already kind of proven at test level. He's got five test hundreds, really impressed as an opener, but you know, didn't really work out. And then now they're trying him as a middle order player. Essentially what his issue seems to be maybe is that he's trying to have it all. He's really come up, you know, leaps and bounds as a, as a T20 player. His T20 hour record for South Africa is phenomenal. And it's uh, averages 42, uh, yeah, 42 striking at more than 150 which are just unreal numbers essentially. And he got and he comes in at the middle order as well. We we've seen it across the global game, just this pattern of players whereas previously it seemed like you could there were guys who could succeed across all three formats. It's becoming incre- increasingly rare. Uh and Markram, if you especially if you kind of I don't know if you want to dig too deep into a d- dismissals, but you know, one was kind of a top edge pull off Stokes. The other was a shot that he, you know, prodded, you know, went full on for the cover drive and, and nicks off and you, you wonder whether it's kind of the attacking instincts of the short form sink in um maybe that's a bit too simplistic but there is a sense there watching him where this is a guy who's just come off back really well in white ball cricket can he adapt for the red ball game and it's it's just such a difficult thing to do um but he is such a he's such a gifted player and I, I 100% think he's got the game to succeed in Test cricket. It's just whether he can kind of balance it all with the the challenges of trying to be a an all format player in a in, you know when increasingly the game is is getting more and more divided in in how you can kind of succeed across all formats. Mm. I mean, there are so few people who are genuinely thriving in in all three formats. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think if Van Edison hadn't been injured, they would have dropped Markram. As it is, I think they'll retain him. It seemed like before the first test, Kai Zondo was the closer to making the lineup. So I imagine it would be him that comes in. And he got runs against the England Lions in that warm-up game. Yeah, and I'd be very surprised if Janssen didn't come straight back in for Harmer as well. Mm. Before we get on to the ECB's high performance review that is being led by Strauss, the Strauss review, today is 10 years since Andrew Strauss retired from test cricket. So I'm going to put Ben and Tahar on the spot here. 18 full-time openers since Strauss's retirement. Uh, can you name them, please? Yeah, do you want me to just go off and do it? Oh, what? I want to do it too. <laughs> should, we, should we go one, one each? Should we, should we yeah, do it in order? Each. Should we try to do it in order? Yeah. Okay. Um, one each then, I'll go first. Okay. Compton. <laughs> forgot the next one. Uh, Root. Carberry. Uh, Robson. Uh, Robson Trot. Yeah, okay, so Trot. Um, uh, Lythe. Moeen. Um, 2015 this is riveting listening I'm sure um, mm. oh I've got this don't worry oh come on I've got this I'll go Hales I Love might it. be missing one um, no no I don't you are Hamid we... yeah Jennings nice Stoneman And then back to Jennings. I think it's Burns. Denley. Oh, no. The Roy came before Denley, didn't he? Ooh. Opening? Oh, oh, no. Denley to the opening of the Western Leagues. Essentially. Remember. But yeah. he counts as. Yeah, well. yeah, 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 right, yeah. yeah. Denley, Roy. Yeah. I guess Leach doesn't count. No. Uh, no, you, you're right with Denley, Roy, by the way. And the, it was Denley first. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Roy, it's 2019. Sibley. Mm-hmm. Uh, Crawley. Yeah. How many names have we still got? Just one. Come on, Tar. He played. What, what am I doing? He's currently in the England team. Oh, uh, Lees. Yep, well yeah. done. Well done. <laughs> um, that was so lame. <laughs> <laughs> 
we now know what recommendations the ECB's high performance review have made. Um, I'll run through a few of them. Fewer days of cricket, uh, maximising the blast in terms of narrative and attendances, having the 50 over competition in April, having a smaller top division in the county championship, but not having a reduction in county championship games in 2023. Uh, there's an accompanying document that kind of flip-flops from being genuinely insightful to being extremely obvious. Um, so Taha pointed quite out funny, yeah. uh, before we started recording, for instance, at the start of the document outlines a goal um, of England men's side being number one in at least one format and being top three in the others. Given that they're currently <laughs> second, second and fourth, that's not exactly asking for a whole mm. lot. Some of the interesting things uh, in the document, it highlights that England Lions play a lot less than some of their counterparts. The English seamers don't actually have particularly good records, relatively speaking, in home test matches. They're the sixth best side by averages in home tests and they're the fourth best in away tests. Um, some of the headers are, are quite funny. England seam bowlers do not travel well, which sounds like a warning you'd get when buying a pet. But there's also some very interesting stuff in there. I'd, I'd highly recommend checking it out if that's your thing. Uh, compares the standards of different first-class competitions around the world. Sure, there's not actually that much of a difference between Division 1 and Division 2 in the county championship. Um, do either of you two have any thoughts on on this document? No, I mean, m- much of the recommendations is largely in line with how I feel. I mean, I'm not as against reducing the number of county championship games as a lot of other people are I think that might well help England produce more fast bowlers for example not that that is actually explicitly mentioned in there but I think reading between the lines of a smaller top division fewer days of cricket I think seems likely that could be coming down the line um the the main the main the main thing that has been criticized about it which I think is fair is that the the role of the hundred is reasonably unexamined it's sort of it's assumed that this thing will be there which obviously it will be, but still it's not at all rediscussed how you sort of like could tweak that or it's sort of how, how stuff can feed in better into the 100, like talking about how the blast can be better linked to the 100 rather than any sort of proper in, inspection of of that, I guess. Much There's a bit on that. There's a bit on uh, basically the report suggests that there are very good high-performing blast players who should be getting 100 contracts but aren't. That, that's true, yeah, but it's, it's, it's a... That's almost serving the same role as international cricket is. It's like how did how do England's players who are playing in the domestic competitions get on in the hundred as well as how do they get on in, in international cricket? It's like it's not considering it as one of those that needs to fit in to serve the England team. It's its own thing that you know is a it's a sort of it's a, a sacred cow in a way almost. Um, I mean, in, in to some in some ways it is, but it's a bit like um, like like with, with say the workload things for example or the amount of training days the hundred is excluded from that. Um, it's it's kind of like the elephant in the room, obviously, both in terms of the fact that you're not really allowed to talk about it. And also, if you do have an elephant in a room, it's quite hard to fit everything else also into that room, I guess. For one, it's it's essentially it's just a mind map, right? Because it's it's hard to make too much of it right now because this is the basis for upcoming consultations. Um, but one of the key things I found was that it's kind of the key points that coming out come out of it are kind of hardly revolutionary. Mm. So like a smaller top division in the county championship and potentially moving the 50 over competition um to april those two things were kind of a thing in 2019 uh we've only just moved to a 10 team division Mm. one it was eight teams in 2019 you had the one day cup at the start of the season um and then alongside what was happening in 2019 where you know we were still talking about the schedule of the county championship now you have the 100 another competition so it's just this like ben points out it's this thing that you can't really talk about but then at the same time we're talking about them playing too much cricket <laughs> there's this fourth competition as well yeah i guess if they uh, so only want to get from fourth to third in the world mm-hmm. uh, they don't need to be particularly radical in in, in how they <laughs> go that about is, that. that is really the, the funniest thing to come out of that thing if you know if you're gonna you know talk about wanting to be the best team in the world just say aim to be number one in all three formats or something don't do something that's kind of you're pretty much already on the cusp of essentially there are some things in there that kind of interest me like i i do think the lines improving Mm. the kind of lines up is key because you see that with with other countries and how well they've done i think the point is made about how much a cricket india play Mm. and how well that served them in particular for the thing english cricket is always going on about about winning in australia i think more Lions cricket would be kind of helpful there. 
um, and, and, and a Red Bull focus yeah. with the Lions is, is I think, quite interesting as well. Them yeah. talking about 80% Red Bull cricket is... Well, is, it makes sense yeah. because all these guys are playing, all the, all the good White Bull players are playing other high-level exactly. White Bull cricket. Exactly, so in the off-season, those guys are going to have trouble finding White Ball cricket to play. It's mm. Red Bull cricket where you're going to have trouble to play because you're not mm. really going to go... It's very rare for English players to go play overseas in other Red Bull competitions, but mm. White Ball, that's not an issue. The Asia Cup, India beat Pakistan in the final over of a game yesterday. It's only the 10th time the two teams have played against each other in men's T20i cricket. So a, a rare good game between India and Pakistan. Uh, I thought I really enjoyed it. I said to Ben earlier that it's one of the most enjoyable T20s I've watched. First of all, because you just got some amazing players on show who are brilliant. Um, but then also you could see the flaws in the two sides and how that kind of you could see how both sides could could take advantage of the opposition's flaws. Um, Pandya was brilliant bowling genuinely quite quickly he's, uh, when he's bowling like that he's a frontline bowler and obviously doing very well with the bat as well but uh, my favorite bit of the game was Naseem Shah uh, is his first T20i in his first over he bowled Rahul had Kohli dropped at slip and very nearly had Rohit Sharma caught behind which is which is pretty good going and and there was a quite f- a funny moment towards the end of the game where he went down with a cramp whilst appealing for an LBW and then finished the over yeah, there was something horrid in the fact that the LBW got overturned. It yeah. was like he'd given he'd given his whole body, his life for this wicket, uh, and then the ball's pitching outside leg. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, so this is a frustrating rivalry, obviously, in the sense that they hardly play each other for you know politics and mm. all that kind of stuff. Um, uh, but when they do actually play each other in ICC tournaments and stuff, it's usually quite a disappointing affair because it's very <laughs> one-sided. Yeah, uh, I'm thinking about the last few games these sides have played. I mean, C20 World Cup. Pakistan win by 10 wickets. Yeah, you say, um, you say that, but but also, I mean, I guess it is because of the scarcity of the rivalry and how intense it is, but those games are still more memorable to me than loads of games in the Ashes or between England and Australia, e- even when they are better games. Like like that, and that 10 wicket win, it still felt like a, it was a, it was a pulsating was a, game, right? All, all the way through and it felt like, like that was a, a proper high quality punch, but I really remember that. And so the Champions Trophy final win, that was, I remember that really clearly, you know, Hardik Pandya, even though he's not really getting India anywhere near close to actually chasing it, you're still, sort of still feeling like all oh, this could happen just no, because of how good it is, yeah. you know. They're lit by great moments, sure. I mean, the, in the 10 wicket win you're talking about, you know, there was the Afridi spell, uh, Champions Trophy, there's the Mohamed Amir spell, but you, you still you still want a, a match that goes down to wire, right? Sure, you, yeah. you still want to see that. So that's, this was the first time in a long time that I've seen an India-Pakistan match go down to the wire. And that was, that was fascinating in itself. Um, and I guess we'll have a couple more in the next couple mm. of weeks, right? Yeah. Uh, it's got to be said just how difficult it is to watch this uh, <laughs> in, in, in the UK. It's, as I said, it's only the 10th time the, the biggest rivalry in cricket has actually taken place in the, in what is the most popular format in terms of eyeballs in the world. In the UK, it's, it's, it's hidden on Sky Channel 717 and as far as I'm aware, there are basically no highlights available online. I think Star Sports have put up one clip of Pandya hitting a six and that's <laughs> it. And this is the this is supposed to be one of the biggest games in cricket and we're not... It's sport. Yeah, yeah. In terms of eyeballs, <laughs> definitely. It's, it's a bizarre tournament in general, right? Like the, there's not even really Asia Cup social media accounts. Yeah. Uh, it's sort of like a glorified warm up for, you know, whatever major tournament is coming up. And yet it should also, and it, it really seems to matter to fans. And there's no reason why it couldn't be, you know, cricket's equivalent of the Euros, say, which would matter. It was almost in a par with the World Cup. And it's, it's, it's very strange. Yeah. On India, Ben, they didn't pick Rishabh Pant. They, they backed Sharma, Rahul, Kohli as their top three, brought in Dinesh Kartik, who's obviously done very well recently. But it's quite interesting that Pant's captain India recently. He's opened, he's batted four, he's batted five. But no space for him in their first choice team, only a couple months out of the World Cup. Yeah, and it's tricky because I'd I'd expect Kartik to probably do enough to not be dropped between now and then. And then you're really looking at the two guys who almost should be most in danger of their places, probably Kara Hall and Virat Kohli. But they both, obviously, in terms of their names and their status within the side, would play. I mean, they, they just have so much strength and depth. I mean, they've got... Deepak Hood is another one who is uh, missing out from that side who what got a T20i century uh, a couple of months ago. Um, so they do have, yeah, incredible strength. And Pant, you know, as much as he is a, a, obviously a brilliant test ball striker and he's shown that in the IPL at times as well, his T20i record is poor overall. So he kind of has himself to blame. And while I personally think Pant is in 
India's best 11. I also think that given how he's gone, given what we know about, say, Virat Kohli's big match pedigree, for example, even, you know, last year in that T20 World Cup, he got what was a very good half century against Pakistan. I don't think it will quite cost in the T20 World Cup, if that makes sense. I don't think there's actually that much in it, even though I would go a different way. Ben, in the other opening game, Afghanistan blew Sri Lanka away. Afghanistan are, they've been exciting for a while in T20 cricket, but there's there seems to be a bit more substance about them as a side now. They're not that reliant anymore on their star spinners. They have young quicks as well. And if you look through there, uh, the, the, the bowlers are going to bowl their 20 overs. They've got five very good bowlers there. Yeah, I, I mean, Fazal Hakfaruki is the one that leaps out. He's a left arm quick. He gets movement with the new ball. There's something of the uh, of the Shaheen and how attacking he is with that new ball as well. But yeah, he, he took two wickets in that first over against Sri Lanka and then went for basically nothing in the second over. And after three overs, I think Sri Lanka were five for three. And that was basically the game done. I don't know if you saw how the third wicket fell. Uh, so it was um, Patham Nasanka, who is maybe Sri Lanka's most consistent player, was given out, caught behind reviewed it straight or actually didn't read it straight away took a little bit of time and then reviewed it and there was nothing on ultra edge it was it was like like the, the tiniest but, moment, but like yeah. but like like not essentially noise in the, in the you know in mm. the statistical term rather than uh, in there being any sort of spike and yet it was uh it was it was given out still uh chris Elwood did his best mickey arthur impression uh off the side of the pitch everyone was sort of bemused uh so yeah but yeah and and also afghanistan have um strength and depth batting wise as well obviously rashi khan's improvement with the bat helps there but in what is it Ramana Gurbaz and Hazrazai opening batting that they can both absolutely bomb it and um, um and then having said that you know they just lost a T20i series 3-2 to Ireland which shows just how uh level that playing field is I guess across the world and just bolsters that case for expanding the T20 World Cup to base as many sides as possible. Tar what's your moment of the week? Uh my mom- moment of the week was I was down here at the Oval for a hundred game Oval Invincibles playing Birmingham Phoenix. Uh, and I was out in the kind of press outflow area, which if people, people might know that is, you're basically sat with the crowd essentially. Uh, and Alice Capsi was bowling, um, took three for 15, uh, then hits 20 orders over win the game. Uh, and it's, it's just kind of fascinating kind of watching the crowd while she's in the game. And she always seems to be in the game because one for one, she she bowled beautifully and you know didn't didn't go for any go for any runs, takes three wickets, uh, and then she's you know coming out with the bat and kind of winning the game, um, and I just think there's there's great attention from the crowd when she's in the game because she is basically the the crowd favourite. She is, you know, she's the most exciting player in English cricket right now. You know, eighteen years old, and the thing that that, that stands out essentially is that she'll be on the field. Everyone else is pretty much older or has more international, you know, so many of those people that so many of the players there have way more international experience. And yet she seems like the most confident player out there uh, and is just kind of attuned to to the big stage, essentially. Um, And just everything about the way that she's playing right now is just so there is like a Wayne Rooney 2004 energy to it. I don't know if people will get that reference, Um, but you know that that was an incredible performance and then this was a few weeks ago on her 18th birthday where she kind of wins the game with four consecutive boundaries um and it's just yeah it's like she's kind of exactly what the the organizer of the 100 would want a kind of a player who becomes kind of the the player you go to the ground for it becomes a kind of local hero essentially um and yeah it's just just a really standout player in terms of you know, in this competition, but also just in, in the women's game right now. Absolutely. And and uh, on last week's show, we mentioned how uh, there have been crowd, record crowds at every single ground that's been hosting 100 games. A few have been broken in the last week since we said that on the show. But on the men's tournament side, I wanted to talk about a guy who is two days younger than Alice Capsi and Rahan Ahmed. I know we've mentioned him in the show a couple of times already this summer. He's not actually taken a wicket yet in the 100, but he's bowled really well. He's been going at just about eight and over uh, in in old money, um, he's he's really good. Ty, you you've spoken to him recently, yeah. and he he's quicker than most English wrist spinners. Uh, he he turns it quite a long way, especially his googly. I I can honestly see him playing for England really soon. Maybe not before the T Twenty World Cup, but in the next year. So it's funny talking to him about his influences. And when I watch him, there are touches of 
for one, there's Rashid Khan and then the shut up Khan in just the way he sets up, the way he bowls. And yet, he, you know, he was like to me, he's, obviously, Warren is an inspiration to any leg spinner, it will be. And then he lists off Mushtaq Ahmed, who I'm pretty sure had played his last international before, you know, Rahan was born. Uh, so that was that was quite amusing. But he's, yeah, so his, his googly is the main weapon and it's an incredible ball to watch because it, it, you know, it turns miles. Usually you think of a googly... Uh, with with the kind of conventional leg spinner, your leg break turns quite significantly, and your googly is kind of a ball that will turn more straight on. I think he turns he, you know, he he goes the other way where the googly is spinning massively, and his leg spinner, especially in white ball cricket, he says you know he won't actually try and turn it that much. He's trying to keep he's trying to attack the stumps essentially, just keep keep that in the player where it's you know if if a batter misses, they're they're basically out. Um, but yeah, very fascinating bowler. Unlike any other leg spinner in English cricket right now, he's kind of almost the anti-Parkinson, right? Because Parkinson is more about tossing up the ball, um, getting that leg break to turn. He's not really a googly bowler. Um, whereas Park- whereas Rehan Ahmed is, you know, he is very much kind of more of that, more of the modern leggy that we see through Rashid Khan, through Shadab Khan. He's yeah. That, he's that type of bowler. I watched quite a lot of him during the under-19 World Cup. And and I must admit, I'm quite surprised at how well he's doing in senior cricket um, because he would take wickets with the massive turning googly, Mm. but he would also go for quite a lot of runs quite regularly and he would bowl quite a few bad balls. I know leg spinners always do, but probably more than one you'd expect to do well in the Blast 100. But he's not totally eliminated that from his game, but he has made quite quite big strides in yeah. quite a short space of but there's, time. But there's still, like like you said, that he's still not taking a wicket in the 100, so there's still like quite a lot of room for improvement and quite a lot before I think we can really talk about him playing for England to be honest I think you do need to kind of show that you can kind of dominate in the 100 as well um he's shown very he showed he had a really good blast campaign um I think the 100 is kind of like the next step for him to like if he can really kind of kick off there then I think there's more of a a discussion to be had Hmm. Hannah writes in to say hi all I hope you're all enjoying this summer of cricket I know that I am and one of the reasons I am is because of a certain Lancashire player that has gone under the radar and continues to do so we all speak about Matt Parkinson, Sakeem Mahmood, Josh Bohannon and Richard Gleeson at length, and rightly so. But for me, this season, it's been the long-standing presence of Stephen Croft that has been Lancashire's making this season, and it's been an absolute joy to watch. He's won so many games for Lancashire over the years, and this season has been no different. He was Lancashire's top scorer in the Blast, with some especially excellent knocks in their semi-final, and sadly, losing calls in the Blast final. He's averaging 77 in the Royal London One Day Cup and 44 in the County Championship this year a true all-format player. Though he's a few years behind Darren Stevens, for me, he's up there as a through-and-through county legend, and I'm so grateful for him choosing to spend his time at Lancashire. I wanted to use my favourite podcast to shout out my favourite county player and give him a bit of love that he might not get from outside of a Lanx fan circle. I was wondering who you guys think is the most underrated county player. Um, great question thanks for sending that in Hannah uh, as always you can get in touch at podcast at wisdom.com if you want to send in some of those longer questions Stephen Croft by the way this week scored an unbeaten 100 for Lancashire in the Royal London One Day Cup quarter final win over Knott Kent are also through the semi-finals are tomorrow Sussex versus Lanks and Hampshire versus Kent um, but back to Hannah's question who is the most underrated county player it's a really good question because uh, there's such a wide array of players to choose from. I think so much of the discussion on county cricket is focused on uh, the international game and who's the next capital rank for England that you then end up missing someone who is either a bit too old or they've been tried and then discarded or uh, you know they haven't quite got you know the skill set for that and you miss focusing on their uh, county exploits for just what they are. So for me, I mean, I've, I've picked out loose deploy uh at at Derbyshire who's got an absolutely obscene record in uh well in first class cricket he's got an average basically higher than any other uh batter in the country and pretty much always does but because you know he plays for Derbyshire and you know he's South African uh, and therefore can't play for England no one talks about it and in list A cricket he averages 58.28 he's the uh Sam Hain territory the, yeah he, <laughs> he's, the, he's the new Sam Hain uh so I, I and he also plays a shot which I don't think anyone else in world cricket plays which is when he goes to scoop it mm. he scoops it with the back of his bat rather than with the front. I've never seen it actually be that successful, but he does do it, which I admire. <laughs> and then the other guy is, uh, is, 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 is Wayne Madsen, who I think it depends who you're asking if he's underrated. I think he's very much rated by players in county cricket. I think we've probably mentioned it before when doing the cricketers who's who. And one of the questions is, you know, if you could take one shot from another player, which would it be? And it's always something Wayne Madsen plays off in his cover drive. And yet 
he will not be discussed by basically anyone outside of that. And that's that's one of the, the good things, sorry, about the 100 is that uh, it does give a platform to some of these players who deserve a platform but haven't got it through the international mm. game, I suppose. I think the name that just crept up for me was probably Keith Barker. I don't, would you say he's underrated? Yeah, I, I don't I'd, think... I'd, I'd, I'd say he fits in that mould. Yeah. yeah, so I, I think... People say he's underrated, but even then, I think they underplay just how important he is at the very top of the first-class game right now. It's yeah. not like, oh, he's still taking wickets. It's no, he is one of the most important players in the team that could win the championship. Yeah, and he kind of left Warwickshire a few years ago, and you might have thought, okay, the Warwickshire period would be the most kind of mm. the successful period of his career, but he's been absolutely brilliant for Hampshire as well, uh, and kind of closing in on 500 first-class wickets now, which is just phenomenal. But And then you add in his batting, and he's got six first-class hundreds. Um, yeah, so someone who kind of, I guess, has had a pretty fascinating career as well. Um, you know, was kind of going to go down the professional football route. Um, quite late bloomer, essentially. Um, That's part of the reason why he's underrated is that there was a very small window when he actually, people would have even seen he had a good first-class record and therefore yeah. could have had an England case before he got kind of too old for that conversation. Mm. But yeah, that just Keith Barker's numbers quickly. Uh, he's got nearly 5,000 runs at an average of 28.5 and nearly 500 wickets at an average below 25. That's very and, good. And hasn't played that much T20 cricket, but also still has an excellent record. So 69 wickets at 23. I, I'm going to go for, this is specifically white ball. I think he's. I think this guy is appreciated at about the right level in first class cricket. Um, but Adam Lye, he's having such a good 100 competition this year. Yeah, I think Yorkshire fans would say that he is their best ever T20 player. Um, I mean, like his, his his numbers this season in the hundred, he averages pretty much exactly forty with a strike rate of one hundred eighty six from seven games with the Northern Superchargers, and I think um, kind of similar to what you were saying about how we view everything through an England lens. Live is not going is unlikely to play for England again. He's thirty four. England have so many young players who are doing well at the top of the order in white ball cricket that Lyth isn't really seen as a as a viable long-term option. But actually, right now, in this minute, he is really, really good. And I think that's a possibly a mistake that some 100 teams are making, is that maybe too many of the picks are viewed through that England lens of someone who could be really good in a few years' time, rather than actually picking the best available players there and then which is something that the performance review alludes to but yeah some some good names there um moving on uh gary balance has issued an in-person apology to azim rafiq this week in a statement balance said i did use unacceptable at times racist language if i'd realized how much this had hurt azim i would have stopped immediately that's why i wanted to meet him this week and be clear in person that i intended no malice that's not an excuse i realized that the language i used was wrong I've accepted from the outset the words I used were wrong and I hope the statement brings Azim some comfort. On last week's show, I flippantly questioned the point of the India-Zimbabwe ODI series. Um, I meant more why it was being played so close to the Asia Cup, which is being played in a different format. It is obviously a good thing that India are playing teams like Zimbabwe. Zimbabwe are currently playing Australia in Australia at the moment as well. Um, but the last game of that series was absolutely amazing. Ben Sikander Raza played what was nearly one of the all-time great ODI knocks to take Zimbabwe within a whisker of a very, very famous win. Yeah, it was uh, Sikander Raza doing Sikander Raza things. <laughs> because, uh, he has uh, become known for over the past few weeks. He got, what, two unbeaten hundreds to seal uh, an ODI series win against Bangladesh, which was Zimbabwe's first against a full member for absolutely ages. Uh, and then this innings would have been, probably was still best than any of those. I mean, they were 169 for seven. Uh, so still needing another hundred and... 31 is that to win 121 to win uh and that's when he sort of starts i mean he wasn't going absolutely crazy he was shepherding very well he was building a partnership with brad evans who also played very well and got them very very close until falling uh it was the ninth week to fall with a score on 275 so they end up losing that game by 13 but yeah an absolutely brilliant innings from a uh a brilliant player with a, an interesting story having come over from pakistan spent some time in the pakistan air force i think uh before going from playing for zimbabwe um spoken very well on Zimbabwe's position in the game before as well. It was at the end of the 2018 Cricket World Cup qualifier when he was um, uh, named player of the tournament and Zimbabwe weren't in that final. So he had to sort of come in on his off day, I guess, to pick up the tournament award and uh, and perhaps punish the IC for that by uh, going launching into a, a very eloquent uh, rant at uh, 
how unfair it was that it was only a 10 team world cup when that world cup qualifier is you know one of the <laughs> one of the best global tournaments there's been in the past few years in terms of how close it was um and he settled that very very well uh so yeah I, I was wondering why when he got to his 100 he brought out a uh, piece of paper saying like yeah we're on a talk now but that, that explains it so. <laughs> all we have time for now is my moment of the week which was uh so i was moving flats this weekend uh so i was unavailable to play for my saturday side who we were so short in numbers that we not only conceded our 13 game but we conceded our second team game so i was following play cricket throughout the day so the moving was was, was quite slow so one, the, the, the mighty twos stayed up because of results elsewhere. But our one stayed up after defending 136 and they won by eight runs. And it's one of those games that was being live scored online. So I could follow it pretty much ball by ball. So winning that was, was, was very good, even though I was just unpacking boxes at the time. So that was that was my moment of the week. Um, that is all we have time for on today's show. Cheers, Sar. Cheers, Ben. This has been the Wisdom Cricket Weekly podcast. We'll be back next week before the third English Podcast Network.